to 1 Timothy chapter 5 this morning. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're going to pick up at verse 9. We're only going to look at a couple of verses here today. Uh, we're still continuing uh, rules for widows who are looking for help. Uh, see, as we look at it today, we're, we're going to see Paul continue his discussion. Remember, it goes through chapter 6 and verse 2. His, this discussion of personalized pastoral care. And specifically where we are right now, we're looking at qualifications which a widow must meet to receive material support from the church. So with that in mind, we're going to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 9 and 10 here this morning. It goes like this. Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man, well reported of for good works, if she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. Let's have a word of prayer before we get breaking that down. Lord, we do thank you for being so gracious to us. You brought us through safely through another storm that shows your might. The storm shows your might and your safety through it shows your might. You are a mighty God and it's an honor to serve you. We do ask that you'll guide us through your word here today by the power of your Holy Spirit. Show us how we ought to live our lives and how we ought to care for each other. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 9 to 10. And we're looking in the middle of qualifications for uh, widows to receive material support from the church. So right off the bat, uh, we see that he says that she must have been the wife of one man. That Greek phrase is henos andros gyne. We talked about that a little bit. It's uh, an extremely clear phrase. It doesn't allow any wiggle room for any other interpretation. It's the feminine form of the same qualifications we saw for bishops and deacons in chapter 3, verses 2 to 3. Let's back up and look at that. It's the exact same phrase, only the feminine version. Uh, Chapter 3, verses 2 to 3. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, it says. And then it goes on for other further qualifications. It's the same phrase. Now, the reason for this is so that the church's resources are focused on those widows who have the fewest relatives for their support. Makes sense, right? If she is remarried... She now has two different families who could be helping to, in her time of need, right? See, the list of qualifications which Paul gives here gives us a picture of a godly, older woman who younger women can look up to. Remember, that's the overarching thing that we're talking about, is younger folks looking up to older folks, more mature folks, elders, Bishops, deacons, older widows, 
for guidance on how the Christian life ought to be lived. So Paul's trying to show Timothy how to have some quality control, if you will, over the widows that ought to be receiving the church's aid. You shouldn't just throw the church's funds out willy-nilly. So let's look at verse 9 again. Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man. Now that's an interesting English phrase there. It says, let not a widow be taken into the number. That sounds pretty harsh and exclusionary, doesn't it? I mean, it almost sounds like Paul's being kind of grouchy here. Doesn't it? Don't, don't take those if they're blah, blah, blah. But without getting into a complex Greek lesson here, I can assure you that is not the case at all. Paul's not being grouchy. He's not being angry. He's uh, not being exclusionary. He's simply emphasizing to Timothy that each widow's situation needs to be examined carefully on a case-by-case assessment. And you know that's true of every single human being, isn't it? Each of us have different situations going on in life. Um, Each widow's circumstance is going to be unique, and they all can't be lumped together. Now, this phrase, taken into into the number, that's also kind of interesting to me. It's a term, it's very rare in the Bible, but it's very common in other New Testament era Greek texts. And it refers to being on a membership role. Um, What kind of a group are they enrolled in? Well, obviously from the context, we're referring to the group of widows who are receiving assistance from the church. Now again, like we said in the introduction, Paul isn't so much trying to keep people off of the list as he is trying to make sure that those who are receiving benefits from the church are actually women with a passion for serving God. You recall way back several weeks ago, that was the overarching principle. These need to be women who have a passion for doing what's right, serving other folk in the church. So Paul gives an age restriction. First restriction that comes along is an age restriction. 60 years of age is the minimum. They've got to be at least 60 years old. If they're younger than that, it's presumed that they will have the wherewithal to be able to provide for themselves. We see all kinds of women who helped support Paul, who had their own businesses and did their own things throughout the New Testament. If you're below 60, you ought to have the wherewithal to be able to support yourself, number one. And, let's face it, if a woman's under 60, it's generally a lot easier for her to even find another husband to support herself, too, right? It's easier under 60 than it is over 60. And then secondly, Paul brings up a moral consideration. We've already mentioned it in the introduction. She needs to be a one-man woman. Just as a bishop or a deacon has to be a one-woman man, she has to be a one-man woman. She, she will then, if that's the case, have an established track record of love and faithfulness to God, which is demonstrated by a life of love and faithfulness to her husband. You know that's what the marriage picture is all about anyway. 
It's a picture of our love and relationship to God. If she has demonstrated that loving relationship by loving her husband, that's a qualification, see? See, using the marriage covenant as a criteria, the church can prevent their material support from becoming just a humanitarian aid. There's all kinds of humanitarian aid. There's all kinds of needy people in this world, isn't there? And I'm not demeaning that. There's all kinds of places we can throw our money to. Another thing that's important to remember, I'll bring it up now, I'm going to bring it up again as we get a little bit further in here. We need to remember one thing about the book of 1 Timothy. Paul's not so much talking about the church, people paying money to the church and the church distributes the money as a church body. That's not what he's talking about in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy's written to an individual. This is how individuals ought to support other individuals in the church. If you want to see the book that was written to the church at Ephesus, read the book of Ephesians. That's how the church as a body ought to look at life. This is how each individual, you, me, each of us sitting in the church ought to handle this. That's going to become more important when we start looking at how we honor elders. It's not how the church pays somebody or pays respect to or honors. It's how each individual of us does it. It's the same thing with widows. This is Paul talking to Timothy, two individuals. Bear that in mind. But if we're following this moral code, where she's got to be over 60, she has to have shown a life of love and devotion to one man, that becomes a confirmation that the same God who gave the wife her husband and family will provide for her in those leaner years in life. It's always good to keep the focus on God, isn't it? Rather than simply making the focus on a handout. We can focus on the need, and then our assistance just becomes a handout, doesn't it? But if we focus on God, then our assistance becomes love, doesn't it? Let's look at verse 10. Further qualifications. It's the same sentence, by the way. It... uh, We're only looking at one sentence here today. Verse 9 and 10 are one sentence. Well reported of for good works. If she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. Now, whereas verse 9 that we just looked at were a lot of external criteria, is she the husband of one wife? Is she over 60? Those are externals. Any of us can assess that, right? That's easy to measure. Verse 10 makes a shift to character qualities and their demonstration in the lives of others. Notice that Paul says that these character traits are well reported of. Well reported of. That's a very beautiful phrase. The phrase has its roots in a very familiar word to you and I, martyrio. Martyrio, you've heard me mention that before. That means to testify or to witness. It's the word that you and I know as martyr. To be a witness, to testify. 
That is a very strong endorsement by either God or by his church. We see it throughout the New Testament used in both ways. And that, by the way, I'm going to give you a little side study you can look into. Here's a side study you can do. Track down the various things that God endorses with the word martyr, martyrio. Track that down yourself. And when you look them up, you're going to see that it's more than simply recognition by the world. It's recognition by God himself. And that puts a whole different aspect on it, doesn't it? Another thing that I can't help but notice is that the good works are mentioned at the beginning and the end of this verse. She's well reported of for her good works if she have diligently followed every good work. Good works are mentioned at the beginning and the end. That may not sound like much, but couple that with what we looked at in chapter 2 and verse 10. Let's back up to chapter 2, verse 10. Talking about women, talking about women's behavior in the church, it says, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. These women living a life of good works is critical to Paul as he's talking to Timothy here. Living a life marked by good works. You see, it's our deeds that we're assessed with, assessed by all the time, isn't it? Whether it's by the world or whether it's by God, it's our deeds that are assessed. I can't measure how much faith you have. I can't measure how much faith you have. But I can take a look at what you do for works. I can see what you do in your life, and that can give me a measurement to gauge your faith by, right? That's what James wrote about. Go ahead and read the book of James. You see, if you live a life that's marked by good works, then that indicates to me that you have a deep commitment to Christ and to his church. So summing this all up, this is a woman who is very well known for having a committed life to Christ, and she shows it by doing these good works to those people who are around us. We talked about that earlier when we first started talking about this widow. So then, the next thing Paul brings up uh, is her bringing up children. If she have brought up children, again, this reminds me to what we talked about in chapter 3, talking about bishops and deacons who are expected to be adults, who are married, and who have brought up children. I'm not going to go teach that all over again, but those were qualifications for bishops and deacons. This doesn't exclude the childless, of course. We talked about that, too. But what it is saying is that, especially in those days, it was considered normal for adults to marry and to raise a family. That's becoming less and less common these days, but that's a a different point. I'm not going to bother getting into that. That's beside the point right now. It goes without saying that if this godly woman whose life is marked with good works has raised children, then it stands to reason that she raised them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, doesn't it? That's what Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 says. Uh, By the way, it's very important, I've said this at the beginning of our study, study Ephesians in parallel with 1 and 2 Timothy, because that's the book that was written to that church that Timothy was at. So that's why I bring up Ephesians 6 and verse 4 here right now. I'll get to you in a second, Diane. 
What we're talking about here is a widow who has honored God and her husband by bringing up her children well with a proper fear of God. That's the sort of person we're talking about. Go ahead, Diane. That's right. Yeah, he's, he's talking about uh, having a life of patience there in James. Uh, and he expands that out with other character qualities. So uh, in 1 Timothy, then the next qualification uh, Paul lists here is lodging of strangers. Lodging of strangers. We've mentioned this before. But open hospitality towards strangers was very important in the ancient world. There weren't holiday inns in every town like there are today. And travelers might have to spend the night in someone else's house. Sometimes a stranger, sometimes friends, sometimes family, sometimes a total stranger. That's just the nature of life in those days. Good God-fearing Christian people wouldn't want to hang out in the local inns and taverns and things like that. I mean, and Paul spoke of this in uh, Romans chapter 12. Let's back up to Romans chapter 12 and verse 13. He's talking just uh, good character habits for us all to have. We're jumping right into the middle of it here. But he talks about distributing to the necessity of saints and given to hospitality as good marks of a good Christian. Go ahead and read the rest of them in uh, Romans chapter 12 if you want to. It talks about all kind of being kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. Read down through them, but right tucked in the middle there it says to be given to hospitality. We've already seen in chapter 3 and verse 2 of 1 Timothy that hospitality ought to be one of the marks of church leadership. Let's look at that while we're right in the context. Church, we're looking at qualifications of church leadership. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Hospitality ought to be the marks of church leadership, it ought to be one of the marks of all good Christians. So this widow that Paul's speaking of here is one who shows God's love for the stranger by taking care of them when they needed it. Now, another characteristic that she shows is the washing of the saints' feet. We've spoken of this before as well. But washing feet was a very common practice in the ancient world. We see it practiced in Luke chapter 7, verse 44. And then, of course, we see Jesus very famously wash the disciples' feet in John 13, right? I'm not going to read that passage. We all know it. So in context with this widow, this is a woman 
who has sacrificed of herself to the point that she'll stoop to the very most menial tasks to help her fellow believers. Do you get a picture of what this woman looks like? She's someone who's known for relieving the afflicted, it says. Well, who are these afflicted? What do you mean, afflicted? What's, what are we talking about? Well, there's a lot of evidence to say that these are people who are in risk of their lives because of their faith. I've mentioned to you some of the people I deal with on Global Media Outreach. Several of them have come to Christ, and shortly thereafter, they've disappeared, presumed dead. That happens. It happens all over the world right now. You spend years making a relationship with somebody, they come to Christ, and the next thing you know, they're dead. Uh, <clears throat> we're talking about somebody who's like that. The Greek word afflicted here is thlebo. It's difficult to pronounce. Thlebo. Paul almost always uses it to refer to someone who's running the risk of losing their life. Thlebo. That's what he means when he says afflicted. So this is a widow, putting it in context here, this is a widow who is willing to shelter and to help someone who is risking their life for Christ. And she by proxy, by doing that, is putting her own life at risk as well. See, in the Roman Empire at this time, there would have been plenty of opportunity to exercise that particular character trait, wouldn't there? Paul was known to be a Christian. He was known to be hunted down. He was in prison all the time. He finally was executed. Somebody who was harboring somebody like that is putting their own neck in the noose too, aren't they? And finally, it says that she has diligently followed every good work. This is a woman who is proactive and takes the initiative to act in a way that expresses her faith in Christ and her love for her God. Again, I can't help but notice that good works bookend both ends of this verse. We're listing character qualities and starts with good works and it ends with good works. That's a pretty good rule of thumb. Show some good works in your life. What kind of good works? Well, that's what the middle part of the verse is about. Here's some good works you can look at. See, she isn't secretive in her faith. She's well reported of. Everybody knows this woman and knows that she is a martyr for good works. Remember, that's the phrase Paul basically used. She's devoted to arduous and selfless action. That's the kind of woman we're looking at here. That's the kind of woman who's worthy of our support in her time of need. I don't think you're wasting your assets to be supporting something like that. I think that's a good investment, don't you? See, so as we've looked through this, we're almost done with looking at widows. But I hope you've noticed that Paul's very careful to remind Timothy not to fall prey to the squeaky wheel syndrome, you know. The, oh, woe is me, I need this, I need that. Paul's telling Timothy, don't, hey, we're not worrying about that. Take a, take a close look at this person. What's their life marked by? If they're marked by good works, helping the... Uh, 
afflicted, showing hospitality, washing the feet, doing these menial things to, to help their fellow believers. Well, that's one that's worth your time, Timothy. Because I don't know about you, but I've only got so much time. I've only got so much money. I've only got so much time. Time is my pro most precious asset. I can make more money. I can find something else to do to make more money. I can't make any more time. If I'm soaking my time up over here on something that's worthless, then I can't be putting my time into someone who's a lot more valuable, like this woman that we're talking about here. We, need, we also need to watch out for nepotism when we're talking about church generosity and individual generosity as well. Go ahead, Diane, you got one more chance here. Go ahead. Number two. Yep. Right. I'm sorry, I'm getting, I'm getting we'll, we'll talk about that one next week. <clears throat> We're going to talk about that one next time. Uh, but see, as we're uh, dealing with, if Timothy's fallen prey to squeaky wheel, the one that's making the most noise gets all the benefits, and the uh, nepotism, well, we've got to take care of them because they're friends of so-and-so, and we know who they're related to. Those things can both hijack the otherwise good intentions of us as individuals or even the time of the church. We need to make sure the priority is given to those who are genuinely in the deepest need. That's the focus Paul's trying to give to Timothy here. I'm all done. I know it was brief here today. We only looked at one sentence, but that was a good spot to break it off. Next time, what we're going to be looking at is rejection, rules for rejection, widows who aren't worthy of your time, Timothy, aren't worthy of your support so much. They need to learn to take care of themselves. We're going to look at that next time. If you don't mind, I'd like to close us in a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for the clarity of your word, the specificity of the criteria you give here. You're not mean, you're not restrictive, but you are very specific. Because we only have so much time, and I do believe that time is growing short. I think it's growing shorter every day. And we're looking forward to your return. Today would be fine with me. We ask that you guide us through the rest of this day. Show us what you have for us from your word. Help us to change to be more like you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.